Have you ever done anything where you like affected yourself like a limb? You're such an asshole. Have you ever done anything like that? You're such an asshole. (laughs) What? (laughs) He's such an asshole. Put that coffee down. That's a clown question, bro. Here we are, another episode, second one of the new year, off script with Lance Zerline. I'm Eric Layden. I am turning my phone on Do Not Disturb. That's what you just heard. Well, my apologies there. Won't let it happen again. We've got a fantastic guest lined up. We'll get into in a little bit. Mr. Who's calling me? Do you see the face? Who is that? Oh, is that Lou Holtz calling you? Yeah. I like it. Why? Why do you? Why in his in your phone is he Rex Hogan? Well, so here's the deal. Rex is a put him uh, on speaker. Answer it and put it on speaker. Well, Rex is assistant GM of the Jets, and okay. uh, he he was he was at Notre Dame for a while. He does a really good Lou Holtz imitation. Oh, okay. Uh, I here's what I did. I actually his name it used to say Lou Holtz, and I had that picture that I showed you. And so what happens is. If the phone ever rings and Rex is calling, if I pick it up and act like it's no Lou. big deal, like, oh, they see a picture. If I'm around somebody who knows who Lou Holtz is, they'll say, and it says Lou Holtz, and the face pops up like, right. you know Lou Holtz? I'm like, yeah, hold yeah, on. Of course. Uh, yeah. Well, let me just tell him I call him right back. And it's something that you can do. Anybody can do this who's listening right now. Is you need to get now. It's got to be believable. Like I could pull it off because of what I do for a living, right? Like if you had Barack Obama, people wouldn't believe that'd you. be a little. Yeah, that'd be a little tougher. But like right. the general person listening here, um, if they were in Los Angeles, uh, I don't know. I don't know who the general person like. If if it's it's got to be somebody who would be known. Like in Houston, it could say something like, "Yeah, we get it." Yeah, I can't even think. Like my job avails me. You could do that. You could do it I with a Tom with Cruise. Sure, sure. You could do it with a big actor. Could somebody say, "Holy shit, you know McConaughey?" Yeah. And you could be like, "Yeah, yeah, yeah, yeah." yeah from yeah. It's a just, long time ago. Right. I'm going to change you in my phone. Yes. Who should we make you? Like somebody, um, not too much. Like, but like somebody like that. A like we would really like people would geek out about if they know. Like, what if I made you like John Turturro? You know, that's not like, that's not bad. What about um what about making me uh who's the uh who's the guy that does the science stuff, the interplanetary, the black guy, oh. uh not Bill Nye. I know you want oh, to I was say, gonna Bill, say Nye. Bill Nye, yeah, that's who I wanted to Bill say. Bill Nye the science guy. Who's the other yeah. guy? Oh, you're talking about um hold on. Um gosh, dog it. If you hadn't asked me, I would be able to tell you. His name is Neil deGrasse Tyson. Yes, Neil. Yeah, Gra- yeah. Thank you. So why don't you do that? I mean, you could. That's not. That's but, not a bad one. Really? No. Here's what I'm going to have to do, though, to make it work, or to just take it to the next level. We've got to pick somebody who who you do. Oh, you know what we could do for you? I've got it. Who? Philip Rivers. 
because oh, that's not bad. Yeah. you can do a Philip Rivers. That way, if I pick up at any time you call me, the code, if I pick up and I go, what's up, Phil? You know immediately. To go I'm, into it. Like, because somebody might say, if that's not Philip Rivers, I say, yeah, totally. Does it pick it up on speaker? Dude, that's totally it. Let's and then do that. I can pick it up on speaker and I'll say, Phil, what? what's going on? And you drop right into All right, just, it. Just let's practice it right now. All right, we'll practice. Here we go. go. Yeah. <clears throat> no, this is Philip Rivers. Dude, I'm telling. All right, fine. Watch this. I'll pick it up on speaker. Hey, Phil, what's going on, man? Hey, what's up, Eric, man? How's, uh, I don't even know where you are right now. What, how, wherever you are, how's it treating you? Dude, I'm good, man. You know where I am? I'm out in Georgia. I'm in Atlanta. Oh, man. I love Georgia. I, I Actually, the last time I went feral hog hunting was in Georgia, and we had an amazing time. I brought two of my kids out there, used one as bait, and uh, it was unbelievable, man. I'm having a good time. What are you doing out there, man? I thought you are big time. I thought you are Hollywood. Well, I am, dude, but I'm shooting a, a show called Ozark on Netflix, and uh, it shoots out here in Atlanta. Yeah, I never heard of it, but I bet it's pretty cool. Yeah, it's cool. Dude, what happened in the playoffs, bro? I'm sorry to hear about, uh, not hear about, I watched you, you played well, but uh, what happened this year at the Colts? Well, I can't throw it more than 26 yards down the field, and it was kind of windy. There's a five-mile-per-hour headwind, and that knocked me down to about a 19-yard pass. So I thought it was pretty sweet. I was out there throwing Hail Mary's 27 yards. That was yeah. pretty nice at the end of the game. But I'm still pr pretty fired up. I'm still one of the best quarterbacks that has ever done it. And uh, I'm hoping the Colts bring me back, man. It was great. As you know, it was great getting out of Los Angeles. That place is a dump. Well, listen, you're better off where you are now with Ballard than with the Chargers. I mean, they're a dumpster fire. Oh, no doubt, man. It's great. And the people here are fantastic. Nobody's got like crazy spiky hair and earrings in their nose and, you know, doing that, uh, all that. It's it's not, definitely not here. It's he, she, he, him, she, him, whatever it is. It's just oh, like, wow. it's just like Gary and, and right. Dawn and, right. you know, Margaret. I mean, you know, right off the bat, you don't even ask a question. These are Midwestern people. I like, and you like that because. Oh well, yeah, it makes it easy. Who has more kids, you or your GM Ballard, Chris Ballard? Oh man, it's, it's me. I'm minus three and a half kids. I'm a big favorite against pretty much everybody on the planet, except that one lady from TV that had about 10 kids all at once. Uh, I got Octopus you. lady or whatever it was. I got you. Dude, why? Uh, anyway, I forgot to even ask. Why are you calling? What's up? Oh, I was just going to see if you got that money you owed me. No, man, I don't have money. You're the one signing million-dollar contracts. Well, I put a little something, if you if you may remember, I put a little something into that one uh, movie that you were doing. I had an executive producer credit where you were a painter or something, something like oh. that. You were some kind of painter. Where's yeah, that Phil money? Philip, it was called Painter. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. That was no, a selling point to me. Yeah, well, uh, it is it is available uh, to rent and buy and stream. And as an executive producer, I'm happy to get you a, a copy so you don't have to Oh, yeah, it. that'd be great. And then also my money. I know yeah, it had to make a lot of money. It hasn't made a lot of money yet. I feel like the return on that movie might be about 15 or 20 Did you years. put it on YouTube yet? There's kids making millions of dollars unwrapping presents on YouTube. And also yeah. people have dirty feet fetish. So some people on OnlyFans or uh, uh, some kind of yellow tube or red tube will look at people with dirty feet and do things yeah. to themselves. Have you thought about doing that? 
No, no, I haven't. I have gotten put it on YouTube, man. Kids will watch anything, and you can make millions. That one guy, Jake Paul, knocked that basketball player out, and all he used to do is probably just you know do reaction videos on Minecraft or whatever. Dude, I feel like you are watching too much YouTube. That's what I got to say. Woo! I want to make millions. I'm going to do reaction videos when I'm done with my career. All Just right, nothing look. but me like reacting to, you know, shucking corn if it gets too sexual. Philip, I got to I got to go. I'm recording a podcast right, All right now. I'm you fired gotta, up for you, you man. Good luck over gotta, there in Atlanta. You got to pick for who's going to win the Super Bowl? Yeah, somebody not named Philip Rivers so I stopped caring. Gotcha. Okay, copy that. You take care, man. All right, good. Yeah. Well, I will change you in my phone to Philip okay, Rivers. Good. And we'll do uh, that. yeah, and I'll make it more subtle. I won't actually have a picture of Philip Rivers. I'll just put Philip Rivers, and then yeah, next time you call, it'll it'll pop up. And I yeah, that's great. All right, I like that. You'll have to text um, me when it's time to do it. We'll pull it off on somebody who's a sports. Oh, player. for sure. But, by the way, a lot of times the phone will ring, and my and my son will go like, "Who is it, Lance?" <laughs> <laughs> Wow. Sounds yeah. disgusted. I sent you a video yesterday of old um, interviews with people who were uh, so like I, I, I got into a rabbit hole well, of was, actual sociopaths, of actual yeah. narcissists, of actual yes. like clinical interviews. And yes. it was fascinating. Absolutely yeah. fascinating. Yeah. I, I because you sent me that YouTube clip of a guy in his uh, session in 1980 in a therapy session, and he had a manic uh, episode. He was bipolar. And and watching that is, it's crazy to watch somebody live with a brain that operates in that manner. It's tragic. It really is. It's so sad and so tragic, and I can't imagine living my life like that. But because you sent that to me, I ended up going down the rabbit hole as well and at one point, my wife called and she was like, hey, what are you doing? I was like, I'm in the middle of, the, of a lecture. Uh, a Stanford professor, Saplovsky, uh, <laughs> is giving a 45-minute lecture on, on depression and the biology of it. So I'm just in the middle of that. Can I call you back? She's like, <laughs> <laughs> so I was like Did you, you have, have to Lance, pay for this? Lance, Did you Lance have to pay, pay for this course? No, it's not a course. <laughs> no, 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 it's not a course. I'm just dropping in. I, the, the craziest one is some guy, it's called Special Books for Kids or something like that. Uh-huh. It's a YouTube account, some guy named Chris. And this this guy is a sociopath and um a sociopath and n- narcissist or something else. It was he has two or three d- diagnoses. Anti, he's got the anti um personal behavior, anti whatever. And but he's acutely aware. He's been in therapy for two years. So this guy is acutely aware of himself. And so this guy, Chris, is asking him questions. And this young black guy is being extremely honest about everything. And, you know, he'll tell you, well, I just don't have empathy for you um, or for anyone. It's not something that I, I have in my body. But I've learned how to read keys and show you what you need to see for empathy. And, um, but he talked about how he manipulates people. Like his whole thing is if he can manipulate you, he feels like he, he's 
won, like he won something. And if you're smart and if you're not somebody who's easily tricked, that's like bonus points, but he recognizes that does no good in society and that can have a negative impact down the road. So logically it doesn't make sense for him to continue doing it. So he decided he was going to get help and, and try to be better. And this was one of the most interesting YouTube videos. I'll send it to you. Well, studying the human, like watching the human behavior. I mean, you sent it to me because you said, I think this would be great character research. And it is like, I love watching those things because you, you, you watch the human behavior in a way that's so authentic and vulnerable and real. And it's, it's wild, man. Yeah. I would love to see it forward it to me because I I like watching that stuff. I mean, as hard as it is to watch it, uh, I, I do love watching it. Have you ever the, known the, anybody, the by the way? Oh, the professor that I, that I was listening to is Robert Sapolsky, and he has a book called Behave that I just downloaded. Um, and it's, it's not quite on the lines of that, but it does ask some very interesting questions. So I'm going to read that. I'm going to read that book. But yeah, human behavior, especially now and everything we've gone through, like, you know, what makes people do certain things and you know, what, what drives us. Right. Um, and, and his little, believe it or not, his little, uh, YouTube hour long YouTube thing on depression. And I have been extremely lucky not to suffer from depression at all. Um, but it is fascinating to see just the biological makeup of the brain and what causes that. Um, and how some people like you and me, uh, can come out the other side of something that might depress us, quote unquote, but how people who suffer from, you know, severe depression, just, they cannot, they, you, they cannot you know, it's kind of scary. Room. It's kind of scary to think that there's all this psychology and psychiatry that studies this. And we have, you know, such a better understanding. There's medicine, there's therapy. And for so many years, uh, people in our generation, people, but especially like in our parents' generation, it was, can you imagine how many people had issues that are totally chemical in the brain? You don't have control over them. And yet you're just told to somehow get over it, get over being sad, get over your hyperactivity, get over, you know, um, stop acting like that. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, absolutely. People had to find a way to cope and live with that. And then the people who love them had to learn to find ways to cope and live with them, with the people who had, and I mean, just everyday, sure. Everyday issues that people struggle with today. Not the we most severe. Get, we should get someone on the pod and talk to him about it. Cause I'm fascinated by it. Um, but we should, we should get somebody on the pod and, and have a conversation with them about it. I think it'd be really interesting. Somebody who has suffered from it or who's no, an expert? No, I mean, some, like a doctor. Uh, okay. Yeah, who's an expert in it. I think it'd be really, I think it could be very interesting. Do you know anybody, by the way? About them. Do you know anybody with a behavioral issue? Um, I, sure. I mean, but I don't, I don't know anybody close to me that has any severe behavioral That's issues. That's what I meant. No, no, not severe, not Like bipolar, really severe OCD? Schizophrenia. Uh, anything like that. I, I don't don't. really severe OCD. You know how everyone claims they have, I have ADHD. I have, I'm so OCD. No. And no, it's probably a negative on both of them, but people love to just say they have OCD. But I wondered if you knew anyone who had certain speech patterns or I have known 
Um, there's a caller to our show for years, a guy named Gilbert, who has the ability to uh, remember hit songs from September of 1977. What yeah, was the number one song? About Gilbert. Yeah. yeah, Gilbert knows when celebrities have died. Gilbert has right. has that ability to. Uh, That's like call autism, those issues. isn't it? I mean, yeah, I think like it. I think it is. Autism. I think it is. He's he's on the spectrum, I think, and it's um you know some people have certain abilities, some people don't, but um, I just find that stuff fascinating, just absolutely yeah. fascinating. Well, let's get somebody on the podcast to talk about it. Let's get a doctor. Yeah. All right. Uh, you know. Um, I'm All right. Really good. I'm good with that. Um, before Juan gets on, um, <laughs> dude, I've, I, if you've been watching the games, you've probably seen the same exact commercials I've seen. And my favorite commercial. Can I guess? Of, yes. Dr. Rick. Lo I mean, I just laugh it's every time. It's the and best. So, Dr. Rick is, I mean, the guys, he's, he's so good at it, but the writing of the commercials is awesome. And, um, and it's basically, I, it, he's trying to help. He's a doctor who helps people. Um, well, I guess ironically enough from what we're talking about, he's kind of like a doctor who's a therapist who helps people overcome becoming like their, their parents. Becoming like their parents. Right. Yeah. And, and they do such a, like, I mean, the one where like, you know, they're at, uh, Home Depot and the guy with the blue mohawk walks by or speakerphone in public, which is something that I like. It drives me insane. Yeah. Yes, uh, we the, know. We all see it. You don't have to say anything. Wait, and the guy's like, yeah. uh, you can see it. You don't have He's to say anything. We all see it. He goes, blue hair, blue hair. This yeah, one of the yeah. guys. Hey, and you know what? These are way too many pillows. These are way too many pillows on oh, your couch. Let's take these off so we have an area to sit down. And, and then, uh, you know, it's just, anyway, that's they, my childhood. That's my yeah. childhood because my mom, my mom has sofas in the house. You're not even allowed to sit on much yeah. less have room to sit on them. Like, which yeah. I've never understood. Does your wife pillows, fire off about 30 pillows on the bed? I think we've had this conversation uh, before. Maybe. Oh yeah. We've got lots of decorative pillows on the bed. Every yeah. time I get in the bed, uh, uh, there are, let's see, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. There's seven big pillows that have to get removed in order to go to bed. And then there's the four pillows. She has two and I have two. Yeah. Yeah. That's a lot. And then when the, and then when the bed gets made, those pillows then, well, also like, where do you put them? You know, our room isn't that big. Mm -hmm. So it's like, now nah, I just got to deal with like seven huge, hard, firm, decorative pillows. That you're not allowed to ever be on. No, 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 no. You can never lay on those pillows. No, don't lay on them. They're not you meant might to be laid on. You might get screamed at, but I've gotten screamed at about that before. They're they are not meant to be laid at, but it made it laid on. It did make me think. Like, is there anything that you do? You're far older than I am. Uh, but but <laughs> I love how you play this angle. But you but, know, I don't know. Oh, me? Like if like Doctor Rick could say something is, to me? What? Right? Like, is there anything you do? Because we all have those moments where we like do something. Where we're like, oh shit. I'm my parents. Yeah. Like, is there anything you do that you're like, oh man, I've become my dad or my mom? Well, I mean, like that you would never you could have done say, or cared yeah, about. It could be almost like, I don't know if eating in my room, I don't, that doesn't feel no. like a parent thing. That's just no, that's me. That's just being a pig. That's almost like being what a teenager would do. Actually, it's yeah. almost reverse. Yeah. You're regressive. Yeah. That's, that's what's tough. I like laying out your clothes the night before a travel. 
you know? Like, oh, like, well, I've done that. That's just yeah, smart. I that. But that, I also I, do radio I, I, in the morning. And right. so I want to get out of there right away. Right, right. I don't know. You do know, you try I, to, do you try to help the guy that you hire to come to your house to do stuff? You try to help him out? I do try to help out. Um, like, yeah, 100%. Like, you're doing. if we have people come over to do work on the house, you know, any mm-hmm. type of uh, updating or whatever, I'll, right. you know, I'll speak Spanish just to show how down I am. And I can, if they need, you know, I, I, I try to speak speak the language and ask questions and things like that. And But do you act as if you kind of like, look, like, is there, like, I've definitely had somebody come to the house to fix things. And, and I, I try to like give the impression that like, I could have done this. I oh, just sure. Don't have time. Yeah. Yeah. But you like, gotta, well, you don't want like, them to have the upper hand on you too much. Right. 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 Like I could have done this. I just don't have the time to do it. Not that I don't know how to do it. Yeah. You know, or, or sometimes they'll come, they'll come, you know, they'll be like, so listen, you know, uh, we got to, you know, the shower pan or not the shower pan, the, 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 uh, or yeah, whatever. We'll use shower pan. The shower pan has a leak. So I'm thinking maybe when we, you know, tear this tile up, we'll oh, use a four by four. And I'm like, yeah, that's totally, that's what I was kind of thinking we would do. Yeah. I'm pretty perfect. sure, uh, it, the soffit will need to be replaced. The, the, so if the soffit, and then if we're able to reattach this is, yeah, you want to, you want to give the impression that, that you have, you're, you're kind of with it. You know, you want to always give that- with a car. Always with a car. Oh, you know, when, when you, oh, when you, I can't even fake that. Yeah. But when they're like, you know, this happened, you're like, oh, okay. Yeah. Or maybe they show you. Yeah. Like sometimes they'll be like, so here, take a look under the hood and you'll see here what I'm talking about. See where this is like. And sometimes like, I'll mm-hmm. say, have you checked? It could be, I don't know. Have you checked any of the, the power steering fluid or brake fluid? <laughs> you're, oh, you're in the fluids. <laughs> I'm, I always go to alternator. Do you think it might be the alternator? <laughs> You think it could be? Is there anything going on with the with the frame at all? Is the frame? Do you think is it is this going to have anything to do with uh, with the uh, the the valve, the return valve? <laughs> totally. Just make literally just say return something. Return valve. It's that's, that's car related. I don't know. Yeah, I do. But see, I laugh. I laugh like my dad. I tell my kids. I trick my kids like my dad did. I take dad right. taxes. Like Dr. Rick could do a dad tax, actually. He could do a dad tax and hit us with something. No, you don't need to eat your children's food and call it a tax. He could hit us at some point, Eric. I, yeah, but I actually think dad tax is a universal dad and mom tax. By the way, Katie was like, don't don't think that there can't be mom tax. There can. Katie's way gnarlier about tax. Her taxation is like California tax. Mine's like see that I mean, surprises big me. Time. My two kids will throw down if one of them steals the other one's food. Yeah, you talk later. Yeah, I mean they just they absolutely will throw down. Stormy gets other. overwhelmed though. There's no way he can hang in that battle with Max. Yeah. Oh, uh, he's pretty feisty, dude. Is Max a pacifist? Uh, no, they get at each other pretty good. Stormy doesn't want to fight, but if he does, if he's drawn to it, he will. And he's pretty scrappy. Yeah. Yeah, it's kind of like Jose Altuve. Yeah, did you listen to the Edge yet? No, no. I just I got to get through some drafts. I got some, I've got some hardcore um, draft deadlines I have to meet right now, so I'm kind of screwed in that. Uh, my other TV recommendation, which I watched uh, last night, um, is part one of the HBO documentary Tiger. Oh, fantastic! Have you watched it? Oh yeah, I I, I was oh, up till twelve the other day because I recorded man. it and I couldn't go to sleep. 
So should we talk a little bit about part one? Did anything surprise you? No, it's just being reminded what a badass tiger was. It, it, in that sense, it was very much like the last dance where you're reminded, oh yeah, that's right. Michael Jordan was a fucking dominator. And it's not like you ever forgot it, but it re-energizes that feeling, you know, deep inside right. you. And watching Tiger and being reminded, oh yeah, that's right. He was kicking the shit out of people when he was 21, when he was 22. Uh, oh, that's right. This is what it used to look like at golf courses. Oh, that's right. You know, the whole the whole nine yards. Yeah, now I that that aspect of it for sure. I mean, you get chills watching that those you know the the tooth the tiger slam over two thousand in the beginning of two thousand one his his run at the amateur level and then what he did to the field uh, when he turned pro like that that was you just forget you're right how much he dominated that sport but again going back to the human behavioral aspect of it which we briefly talked about that stuff earlier. Um, just the relationship with his father and, you know, it was heavy, man. It, it was. was really, really heavy. And what his father put him through to become what, what he was, um, I mean, he started manipulating Tiger at two years old. I mean, Tiger didn't have a shot to do anything else. That was it. Yeah. He manipulated it that, that little brain from the age of two years old to become what he, what he was. Now he obviously had a God given talent to play golf, but, but everything that Eldrick Woods or Eldrick or Earl Woods, Earl Woods did was manipulating him in a way that my God, I mean, it, it really, you know, it, I guess it, it made me feel sympathetic towards Tiger um, with all the stuff that he, you know, obviously the thing, his fault he kept him on the track, right? So he kept him on the track. He corralled him on the track of greatness. And when tiger hit different stages of his life where kids can naturally get off the track, because it's hard for you to be focused on one thing from age two to age 50. I mean, come on. And when he was maybe tired of doing something or wanted to play other sports, that's where you say, man, what a bad dad. And but dude, I you're t- talking about how he kept him on the track from like losing focus. I'm talking about a 12 year old kid that's watching your dad bang strangers. Oh in your no, 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 no. Yeah, no, those are you. No, those I'm are separate about, things. I'm talking about writing a letter to your girlfriend in high school, breaking up with her, and then making you oh, sign it. That's like well, I think there's two conversations. Yeah, that shit blew me away. Having Tiger's first girlfriend on as a big part of this, so we got to see Tiger. Like early tiger, young tiger, innocent tiger. That was pretty cool to see those pictures and some of her home videos and him just cutting up and playing around. But what I was going to say is, you know, at some point with all that skill and all that, Earl Woods really forced him into something at a very young age, as you mentioned. I wonder how many people have unbelievable talents at something, potentially piano player, musician actor, doctor, scientist, whatever, but they don't have the push or they're not, it just so happens in their life. They don't end up, you know, they need two years of really firm correcting in a certain direction. And they'd be one of the all time great, you know, 
tennis players, but 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 they never they never reach that because they never you know what I mean? Absolutely. Absolutely. No, there were things he did from little things like jangling the keys and distracting him and make him mentally tough. All the the things he did to make him mentally tough. But what came along with that was, you know, a kid that had no childhood, a kid that wasn't able to cut loose. Um, you know, all, all the things that normal kids would go through as they start to navigate, not only childhood, but trying to like, you know, become a professional in whatever their avenue might be. He did not get any of that. No, but he was also all of that. You had the sense though, that he was like, it was kind of, that was kind of how he was wired too. Like he was wired to not only accept that, but to thrive in that. But, um, you know, the part where the the assistant club pro is talking about him oh. and Earl and how they both were, you know, bringing, they both had girls and he was like really overcome with regret that he let young Tiger Woods see that and that oh that was a especially that was with, because Tiger was so <clears throat> yeah it's a really good show a really really interesting show I can't wait for part two is it going to be every Sunday I guess. I don't, are there, are there only, how many parts are there? I don't know, but that one girl sat down. What do you want to oh. talk about first? I'm like, oh shit, I can't wait for yeah. part two. Yeah. Yeah. No, it was, it was intense, man. It was intense. Uh, all right. Speaking of not intense today, we have got Juan Pablo Raba on the uh, podcast. Juan is a Colombian born actor who, uh, I got to work with on on a show called Six. He was a Narcos uh, movie called Peppermint with uh, with uh, Julie. Uh, what's her name? Uh, um, what's the one that does the the What's in your wallet commercials? What's her name? Uh, Jennifer Garner. Jennifer Garner. Thank you. Yeah. Peppermint with Jennifer Garner. Yeah. Um. He he. Dude. He did a movie called Shot Collar that was awesome. Um, Love Shot Collar. Yeah, it was a really, really good movie, and he was great in that. I want to get into that. And then he's got two shows that are on right now, or a movie right now that's going to release on Friday um, in theaters. Um, and then he's got a show on called Coyote on CBS All Access. So um, we're going to get him in here in just one second, and uh, then we can get to talking. All right. We have several friends of the program, but one in particular is always our MVP. His name is Tony Moles over at the Anthem Agency. That's A-N-T-H-M Agency. Anthem is a company that will help you um, make your brand stand out uh, through motion design, brand strategy, graphic design, just overall brand identity. Who are you? Who are you marketing to? What are you trying to sell? Not only that, you could be changing who you are right now based on everything that's happened over the last, you know, 10 months. So anyway, check their site out. They will be there to help you through this time uh, of rebranding and re-strategizing. Anthem Agency, A-N-T-H-M Agency. Uh, tell them that you were referred by the Offscript Podcast. Reach out to Tony and the team over there, and they will get you squared away. Okay, let's do this. Juan Papi, can you hear us? Can you hear us? I can hear you. Can you hear me? Yes, I yeah. can hear you. 
Uh, look at you, it's dude. What's the matter? You were... Look what's in the background, Eric. It's like he's got his own lighting and everything. Oh, yeah, but it's not on him. That's how big time it is. The dumbass has lighting set up, but it's not on him. <laughs> it's behind him. Well, the, the deal is the lighting setup is for the cell phone, but I don't have one for the computer. So I give you this mysterious kind of look, right? Like now you see me, now you don't. It's very mm -hmm. artsy. <laughs> I guess so. I mean, or sketchy because you're Colombian, you know, like it could go two ways. No, that's, not, that's, that's, that's not racist at all. No. We're, we're not even going to mention it. It's not racist at all. Wow. No, I guess you didn't see his role as Gustavo. You don't know what's going to happen. I can say that. Uh, all right. Juan Pablo Raba. Okay, Hola, amigo. Como estas? I apologize. I was shopping. I was literally in the spice section. Mm -hmm. And I get this message from Eric. Text me when you're in. <laughs> Shit. I couldn't <laughs> I I even make up a lie. And I can make up. I have two kids. I have a baby girl. I can make. I have a full area of lies, right? I couldn't even make one up. I was just shit. <laughs> <laughs> When I saw shit, and then I saw the bubbles, and then I saw the bubbles go away, and then the bubbles go back, I was like, this is going to be fun. What's this going to be? It's either going to be running late or, oh, my God, dude, my computer fell in the lake. And it, I knew that it was only a matter of whether or not you were able to get home or if you were, like, on a bike on a mountain somewhere and couldn't get to me, and then you were just going to have to make some dude, shit up. I was just thinking, I'm going to get a huge ticket, you know. They're going to stop me on the whitest neighborhood of L.A. They're going to stop me, and they're just going to gun me down because I couldn't make it to, to a podcast on time. Have you ever noticed it? I don't know if you guys are like this, but it seems like guys just – I don't know if we're wired like this, but the dumbest shit that we don't need to lie about. If I forgot something, I should be able to tell Eric, oh, I totally forgot we were recording. It shouldn't turn into I've got a severe issue with one of my kids <laughs> – and I also lost my entire left. The axle of my fucking car fell off. The back axle had a massive wreck here in Houston. Like, I don't need to say that. I can just say I'm in the spice aisle. Sorry, Eric. You can you know, wait. I forgot. I yeah. forgot. Also, I, don't, I, don't, I, don't, I don't know if this happens to you guys, but I've, I've, I found out that us guys, we are so bad at lying. Like women, they have this down. They have it down. Like us, it's like what just just this, just just the thought of lying. You can already tell that I'm that I'm that I'm done. I'm I'm, I'm totally. Uh, speak well, for yourself. I think I'm amazing at it <laughs> because I tell little small ones because I'm constantly trying to trick my family just to just to give myself like. And when I say trick, I tell I told Eric a story earlier. I tricked my kids into believing I was friends with JJ Watt. And so I had my friend do an imitation just because that gives me pleasure. It gives me something to do. So I've been tricking my children for years. I have five kids and my wife to this day. I like to see if I can pull, you know, pull something over on her. Just see if I can get away with something. So it keeps me fresh. It keeps so me not sharp. Malicious. They're not malicious. Not malicious, but it keeps me, it keeps me sharp as a storyteller. That's, that's how I like to look. I, just, I like, I like your approach to it, by the yeah. way. It's just. Just, you know, instead of being a pathological liar. Liar, right. <laughs> yeah, just, right. just being sharp as a storyteller, that's all. You got to keep, it, keep right. it focused. All right, here I am. What's up, baby? Uh, What's up, dude? Where are you, Layden? I am in Atlanta. Atlanta. What you working on? I'm working on Ozark. Oh, that's right. That's right. I yeah. saw your post. Congratulations, yeah. dude. Oh, thanks, dude. Yeah, that's it's going to be fun. That's a pretty big deal, man. Look at you, man. You're, I'm you're a big right. deal, man. I know you are the big deal. 
you like knew I that. Was thinking, I was thinking, dude, you could, you could right now, you could probably walk up to NASA and just say hi, and they'll just let you in. So yeah, yeah, that's the guy. That's the guy who launches the rocket. Yeah, just, just let him in. Yeah, it's him. Yeah, <laughs> he's played every one of them, so you might as well let him in. Yeah, I heard there's, there's no new, more flight directors to be played. Yeah, there's a new show, but they, they you know, they they couldn't move forward because you were not available. So like, no, no, no. <laughs> We cannot launch a rocket without the, without Eric Lane. I'm sorry. <laughs> Eric is Eric's in two other space shows. I am putting a moratorium on space uh, genre shows for for the time being, okay, unless nice. the right stuff comes back. So I'm gonna, I'm going to take a little break. <laughs> um, dude, t- tell us a little bit. So you, Juan and I met on a show called Six. They had already done a season. Uh, and I came in, in the second season and this was like a super tight knit group of guys. And, uh, and so I, and I had known that because casting and production had already kind of reached out and said like, look, it's a super tight knit group of guys. Like they all get along like a text chain and they're all like, you know, BFF. So just, you know, know that going in that it might, you know, it could be a minute before, before (laughs) you kind of like break into the group or whatever. So I showed up in Vancouver and we did this boot camp, which I've told you about Lance and we've talked about it on the podcast, yeah. but I just, I used it as an opportunity because they didn't know who I was and my character was such a contrarian to the way that the group kind of behaved that, that I used it as a way to like, well, this is perfect because I can kind of lean into my character here and they won't really know if it's me or if it's the character and who I am. And uh, I don't know. I've never asked Juan it, like what his first impression was when we got out there. It's the same that I have now. It's like you're you're, you're a total asshole, <laughs> you're a total ball buster. Yeah, but you're, but you're funny, so you get away with it because you're actually very damn funny, bro. Yeah, I, I wouldn't go that far. <laughs> I wouldn't let him have. I wouldn't let him have that much. It is funny. He was telling me how, and you tell me if this was. He made the comment, um, correct me if I'm wrong here, Eric. I said, of all the people who are out there doing this um, SEAL training that are out there and you're camping and you're doing this, you know, how do Eric, how do you think you like, where would you rank amongst all those people? He said, behind the two people who are the guides. Yes. Third, right behind. (laughs) He had himself right there. At the top, like top of the class, number one, the food chain. Is that how you remember it? I will tell you something, though. He was in good shape, for sure. Also, you know, with that, with that, with, he's he's a he's a small guy, so he can move fast. So that's pretty easy. But you know what? I will tell you something. I I think he kicked all of our asses uh, on um, on on practice. On how's how you call this? The gun range. Uh, the gun range. The gun range. He came in the gun range, you know, and we had all the training. We had been there before, and he was like, "Poo poo 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 poo." He was like he he did really <laughs> really good on that. I will not I will not lie on that. And by the way, which Jalen was not happy about. Jalen was not happy about. I frankly don't give a shit because I don't like the range. Like all everybody was right. like super excited. Oh, we're going to shoot range. I was like, oh my god, is there any other way somebody could accidentally get killed? You know, yeah, sure. Let's all go to gun range. A bunch of idiot <laughs> actors go shoot real guns, right? I'm like, oh my god, and and of, but of course, some of the guys were like, um, why is the new guy doing it a lot better than us, right? And some of the guys, you know, they they already believed they were kind of semi seals. You know, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna name names, 
but some of them were already like into a very very yep. <laughs> seal attitude. Uh, but it was it was it was fun. I want I want to I want to switch it up for a second and get to your career because your career really until it looks like about 2017 from a from a film and movie standpoint. I really no, I'd say 2015. It was primarily Spanish speaking. At what point, like, give me an idea of how the uh, transition goes from the Spanish speaking roles and Spanish speaking cinema and television to the English speaking. And you know, it's obviously a completely different um, set of movies and television shows, a completely different set of audiences. How did that happen for you? Take us through, take us through that process. Well, I, it was always in the back of my, my mind. I, I was, uh, I grew up, uh, my first school in Colombia was an American school. So from kinder till fifth grade, I I had just I had a lot of American culture in my head and American music. And when I moved to Spain after that, that kind of always stayed with me. So uh, even if I lived in Colombia and Venezuela and Argentina and Spain, you know all. Latin, Latin, and uh, and Spanish-speaking countries. I always had like this thing with with the United States and 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 U.S. cinema and music. So it had always been there. Then I became I become an actor, and when I turned thirty, I kind of I get tired of the of the soap operas and and doing kind of the same thing over and over. And I just kind of start designing a sort of a plan strategy that could take me into what let's call it Hollywood, right? So at 30, I meet uh, with a casting director. Her name is Carla Hool. And, and we really get along. And she starts, you know, putting, sending me tapes. And, and I would always tape. I would sometimes fly even for a couple of days to L.A. just to, you know, to get an audition. I didn't want them to feel that I was not like in L.A. And finally, you know, uh, like five years after that, I get a break with, um, with a movie called The 33. It's a movie with Antonio Banderas and uh, Juliette Binoche, and um, and we. Sh- Funny enough, I was already living in Miami. Like after a project that I did in Colombia, I, I spoke to my wife and we, Joaquin, my first uh, my first son. He was out, he was just being born, and we, we were like, okay, this is this is the moment. Let's go to Miami. We get to Miami, and I get offered uh, a deal with a with a Latin soap opera network. Um, kind of to be an ex- exclusive talent for them. And that was very, you know, that was very appealing because that meant, okay, not only am I in the U.S., this is going to give me the chance to buy a house and have some stability. And just, you know, the day that, two days before having to say, you know, before giving an answer, I, I told my wife, like, listen, this is not what I want to do. This is not where I want to, what, what the type of projects I want to be. I don't have anything against them, but I just, I've been there, done that. So, so she, so we say no. So we say uh, okay, we pass on that. And like three, four months later, I get the opportunity for the audition on the 33 with Carla. And I finally got one. And that's where it all started. And after the 33 came Narcos. And Narcos became kind of the big door opener. The funny thing with Narcos is that a lot, the cool thing about Narcos is that it was not only seen by the audience, but also by directors, producers, and casting directors. The funny thing was that most casting directors didn't believe that 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 guy that they saw Gustavo could actually speak Spanish and play other roles. So it did open doors, but you know I also had to move to LA and start hustling uh, to let these people know that I was here and that I could do something else. 
Well, one thing you said that, and and I had a moment in my career, we've talked about it on the show, but where you have to say no to something and it's scary, you know, it's, and Lance has had it in his career, but it's, it's a scary thing to, to say no to an opportunity that you have, right. A bird in the hand. And, um, but it, it is one of those things that when it, when you do do it and then it works out, it changes your, it changes the way you look at the industry from that moment on. And you start to, you know, gain a confidence for better or worse, but oh, I, I actually think for better, um, in the long run, a confidence that, you know, I, I don't think you can have unless you have turned down something in order to get something better and then have it actually come to fruition. So um, it's awesome that that happened. When Narcos happened for you, did you know, was Narcos like a smooth ship or was Narcos a mess? (laughs) Narcos was a shit show. (laughs) Narcos was a mess. This was the first time that a huge scale Hollywood production came to Columbia. Right, so of course there was a lot of fear. When when Narcos was was conceived, they thought they were going to shoot it in Toronto. They they thought my first audition for Narcos was in English, and then Brazilian director came in Jose Padilla and said, "There's no way we're going to do this in Toronto. We're going to do this in Colombia," and everybody was freaking out because everybody has in their mind, you know, an image of Colombia that's very old school and has and you know Colombia has changed a lot. But people were scared, and we were just not ready. Right. So you know, in, in, in Colombia, people in Colombia, we will say yes to everything. So I have I have an, an anecdote so you can kind of understand the mentality of what happens. Colombians are very hard workers. We are born to hustle. You know, we were born in 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 this world where nobody wanted us. Everybody thought that we were the worst of the worst. So we had to survive. We had to create a whole industry of everything for us, you know, and we had to to become kind of a bubble of our own. Suddenly now people think we're cool because, you know, Shakira, because, because Colombia is now it's, now it's cool. Right. <laughs> but so here's the deal. So um, this is the anecdote. And I, and I, and I, and I hope with this, you guys can kind of understand what happened. So, so director comes and says, Oh, for tomorrow, it would be great if we have a helicopter there, you know, for the take, it would be amazing. You know, and of course, you know, the guys from Columbus say, yeah, of course, you have a helicopter there tomorrow. No problem. He was like, oh, that's amazing, right? Producers was going crazy, like permit stuff. Like, don't worry, I got you. So next day, helicopter was there, right? Right where the director wanted it. And, you know, they come, they're ready to make the scene. And director's like, um, all right, uh, uh, helicopter guys, can you please move the helicopter like two meters? Like, well, oh, what do you mean move? It's like, yeah, we, we need the helicopter. Like, no, 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 wait a minute. You said you needed a helicopter. You didn't say we had to move it or anybody had to fly it. So was, they just got it there. It's like, yes, sir. Helicopter's here. You didn't tell me you didn't tell me we had to fly it. So that was it was it was a lot. It was a lot. And that's how it went. And that's how it went. As somebody who's from as somebody who's born in uh Bogota, how so Pablo Escobar, as you mentioned, I've got a friend who's Colombian, and he talked about the fact that um, it, it, it's all it was always a stain in the '90s and and 2000s, especially where you knew what people thought 
of your country and you knew what you thought about of uh, of your country in some regards and it was it was kind of complicated with with Pablo's um with Pablo's relationship with with the country itself and with some of the people in you know in in, in positions of power um with your background what did you think about telling that story in Colombia um and I don't even know if I have a real question if I'm going anywhere with I know, this. I, I know, just think I, it's, I, I think exactly, it's interesting. I know exactly where you're going. Yeah. Uh, so I get the audition, right? And I had a lot of doubts. I do the, I do the audition, uh, especially because it came from Carla once again. So I was like, anything Carla sends me, you know, I'll do. And then, and then I get the role. And then I really, really sat down and gave it, gave it a lot of thinking. Uh, for starters, uh, my uncle was murdered by Pablo Escobar. My uncle died right. in the bomb that they put in the plane. And that tore that side of the family mm. apart. That for starters. You, when you say that, you mean your uncle, Juan Pablo's uncle. Yeah, yeah, yeah. My, my real yeah. uncle. Yeah. 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 My actual uh, uncle, yeah. Yeah. He, he died on that airplane. So that already is, is a big deal for me. Uh, I was very worried that part of what happened, what actually happened with the show was going to happen. And is that people were also going to love Pablo, like half of Colombia loves Pablo. You know, mm -hmm. the truth is, is he was a ruthless criminal. They, they killed thousands of persons and his legacy continues till today. His legacy of terror, of death it is disgusting. Now, thing is, many of the people in government and the armed forces were also disgusting. It was, it was, it's such a complex situation that it's very hard to point out, you know, who's good, who's bad. But I can tell you that Pablo was the biggest evil of them all. Now, I also thought that the best thing that I could do for my country was be a Colombian, be a part of the show. In the first season, there were not many Colombians yet, you know, especially on big roles. So I just thought if I can get to this role, if I can show them what we can do, if I can be just absolutely impeccable with my work, if I can help this move smoothly, I think that is the best thing that we could do for Colombia right now. And we are criticized. We have been criticized, you know, but I always tell people that Narcos was the first big production that opened the doors of Columbia to Hollywood. After Narcos, Tom Cruise, Mark Wahlberg, uh, they would have never gone to Columbia if it wasn't because of Narcos and that we pulled off a $100 million show with not even one complaint. Every single, no. every single one of the actors, of the producers, of the directors, they love Columbia. They go back whenever they can. They have friends in Colombia. So I think that is the best legacy that we can leave right now is forget about the story. Yes, some people are going to think that the guy was a hero because he built houses, you know, and he built soccer fields. He had so much money, you know, it was not a problem for him. What he was doing right. was creating an army for him. It was not about, about love for its people. It was more about he wanted to be a political figure. So he was buying votes. He was very smart and, you know, he was, he was, he was very strategic. So every, every one of these, like that you think like kind of Robin Hood, 
you know, fairy tale actions, they were all very planned. I, I, I got that from watching the series. I mean, I think that, you know, one of the hardest things to do in the world, and, and you can probably speak to the actor who played Pablo, you know, as you spent a lot of time with him and worked with him, but, but one of the hardest things to do is to play a villain and play a villain of that magnitude and make, make him likable at all being able to do the things that he did. And, and I thought that, you know, is it Wagner or Wagner? Wagner, How do you Wagner. Pronounce it? Wagner yeah. uh, did an unbelievable job with that, you know, um, as evil as he was of a man. Um, but I still think as, as a show, it still highlighted the fact that he was doing that with, with ulterior motives. Um, did you think that Wagner did a, a good job? Did you guys get along? We, we became really good friends. And till today, I could say that he's one of my best friends. Um, it was a bonding experience for sure. And, and seeing the way he worked and how hard he worked and how much, how much love and passion he put into this, how much he transformed his body, how much he put on the line too because he moved to Colombia. His family had to stay in Brazil. So he really put a lot into this. He gained like 60 pounds. And this is a guy that when they told him that he was going to do the role, he didn't even know how to learn Spanish. So he had to go to Colombia. He mm. learned how to do Spanish. And he did. He, for a Spanish speaker, he does not speak Spanish like a Colombia would do and a person from Medellin. But when you, when you go over that fact, you know, and, and you look into his eyes, there was such gravitas. There was such magnetism in his work that I think he did an amazing job too. I, I think he did an unbelievable job. <clears throat> really quick, tell us one other story, Lance. You're going to love this. Um, I, I want to say it was Louis Guzman, maybe, the, the story about <laughs> speaking Spanish. This is a class, This is a great story. So, do, you, do you remember, Lance, the scene where we're all at a big table? You know, the scene where Long we're talking table. about you know, round big table, all where, literally where the cartel of Medellin was it's born. All the kings, right? All the kingpins. All the kingpins are there, and they're talking about how the gorilla had kidnapped the sister of one of the kingpins. And so, literally, yeah, 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 yeah. That's a crucial moment for history, and not only Colombian history. We're talking about world history, right there. I mean, we're talking Winston Churchill kind of moment. This is unbelievable, right? right. So. Luis Guzman arrived that day, right? Louis from the hood. Luis Guzman yeah. arrives that day, and everybody's so excited to have him. You know, he's Pachanga. He is, he is, he's a legend, right? The writer, who's absolutely yeah. a great guy, Chris Brancato, he, he just receives him and says, Luis, I cannot even begin to thank you. I can't tell you how happy I am that you are here. I am so happy that I added you know, some lines to your monologue. I stayed up late. And I just added all these lines just be, out of appreciation, you know? And he says, oh, okay, Papi, yeah, that's great. Okay, yeah, let me take a look at it. So yeah, yeah, here it is, you know? Just tell me what you think. So he gets the script. <laughs> he takes a look. Says, um, hey, yo, uh, Papi, come here. It's like, yeah, yeah, what's up? It's like, um, this shit is Spanish. It's like, uh, yeah, sure. <laughs> I'm from uh, from New York. It's like, yeah, but you're Luis Guzman. Like, you know, Luis Guzman, you speak Spanish. Like, I'm a New Yorican, papi. What you talking about? 
<laughs> New Yorkian. So now you have this huge scene. Just everybody waited for him. And he's like, okay, okay, Poppy, don't worry, don't worry, Poppy. I got it, I got it, I got you, I got you. And he just delivers all these lines in the most Puerto Rican Spanish you could imagine. <laughs> this, I mean, uh, so all of the pinche huelos like we're, us love it. You know, on. we're like, Narcos is incredible, we're says on. all the huelos. But Spanish speakers are probably just... <laughs> just picking you apart on the wait, different dialect. Wait, I had I had sunglasses and <clears throat> tears just ran, <laughs> ran down my cheeks. Just I was just shaking just out of it was it was absolutely crazy. If but we go back was, and watch it, will we be able to see? Can we see you break at all? No, they had to cut, they had to cut had to cut around the scene. Did you have to do multiple takes? Oh, oh yeah, of course. The director was like, okay, guys, okay, okay. Just see, stop talking what? about. What people don't understand is like, you know, Louis Guzman gets a call from his agent and it's just a straight offer. It's like they haven't even talked about this, right? Absolutely. So Louis Guzman's at home one day and he gets a call and they're like, yo, they're going to have you come in and play this great role, da, da, da. And Louis Guzman's like, yeah, absolutely. Cool. On it. And he flies out there and they're all kissing his ass and he's happy to be there. They have never even had a conversation to know that he doesn't speak Spanish. They have they not just discussed totally the character. Assume. But and also and also like narcos is a big thing now. Back then but it wasn't at the time. Back oh then, yeah, nobody had nobody. I mean, I <clears throat> I loved Wagner and I love uh, Josep Padilla's work from a Brazilian film they did that won the Berlin Film Festival called Elite Squad. So I knew exactly who they were. But most people in Hollywood they, have, they had no idea what was going on. They're like, what do you mean I'm going to go to Colombia to Medellin to shoot a show about Escobar? And by the way, Escobar was kind of a jinx project. Joe Carnahan had tried to do it. You know, there's so many big directors behind it and nobody had ever been able to kind of pull it off. So it was just this big like, yeah, okay, I guess I'll go, right? But nobody really knew. And while we were doing it, we were just thinking, I remember seeing the first episode, the first cuts, calling my wife and saying, we are in so much trouble. It was so, so strange. It was so bad. I was like, they're going to hate it. I'm not going to be able to come back to Columbia ever. And there you go. <laughs> and it I'm came, and it, 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 yeah, it really came across. I mean, it came across great. Um, we could sit and do a whole thing on, on Narcos and what Narcos has become because it really did. I am, I am curious though, Gustavo, uh, Gaviria was yeah. your character. How much, like, what did you do to study him and who he was? Um, what was your background on that? Well, so the good, the good thing and the bad thing about Gustavo is that there is not much information about him because he, he, like, like in the show, he always, he always laid low. That was a sweet hat, though. The mustache, hat, and glasses was a oh, sweet yeah. look. So there's a couple pictures about him. There's a couple pictures of him, and he always had that hat. And the reason he had that hat, that hat was because he was losing all, a lot of hair. Oh, Actually, okay. You know? So he had that hat, and I remember seeing this, 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 um, this picture, and he had a cigarette on a motorcycle. And I am an ex-smoker, and I am an ex-motorcycle rider. And I just, and I just thought – Dude, if you're smoking a cigarette on your motorcycle, you have to smoke like a bitch. So that's why I decided right, to You're smoking a lot if you're smoking smoke. on your motorcycle. Yeah. Oh yeah, you're smoking a lot. If you just because you're literally smoking without using your hand. So you're right. doing the whole Right. You got to yeah. you have to be a pro. 
So I just thought, this guy smokes. And then when I spoke to actually one of his family members, he did tell me that the guy smoked like crazy. I could speak to a couple persons, you know. Um, it was it was super interesting. But because there was not so much information, I did whatever I wanted. Basically, all I did was, okay, all I have to do is create a guy that's going to help Pablo. That's all I did. I forgot about mm-hmm. what his objective was because he didn't have a real objective, so to speak, in the story, right? He was a psychic. So all I thought was, oh, I'm going to be like the Disney type of psychic. I'm just going to be there when this guy needs me. And that's what we did. Talk about, because, you know, as, as an actor, you know, when you do, you're an executive producer and star in a, in a Colombian show for Netflix. Yeah. Um, and that's, obviously all Spanish speaking. And then you do, obviously you have several roles where you're speaking English. What are the challenges? Because obviously you live in America. You you're, we can tell you're, you know, fluent in English. It's not an, that's not an issue for you, but at the same time, that is something as an actor, you're now focused on making sure you say things maybe the correct way or the way that you, you know, how, how does that all like when you, when you receive a role, that's in English, do you prepare differently or, or what extra steps do you have to take versus if you receive a role and it's in Spanish? Absolutely. I'm thankful. I met, I met your coach. I met Leslie, Leslie uh-huh. Khan. She's, she's very precise about text and analyzing text. So, you know, I work with her because what happens is because, yeah, I speak Spanish in my house. And now, for example, with the pandemic, I have been speaking a lot of Spanish. When we were on the set of six, it was a lot of English. So I didn't have to worry that much, right? Because you learn a language not only by studying, but but by practicing and just being on set, you know, and, and hearing all these people speaking English. Now that I've, I've been offset for almost a year and all I speak is Spanish, if I get a role that, you know, has to be spoken in standard American accent, I need to talk to a coach. And right now, Leslie is my to-go. Right. And she will help me, like, especially with the inflections. Sometimes I get certain inflections wrong, like just trying to be precise um, about it. But yeah, I definitely need right. to work it and I need to work it in a complete different way. It, it, it also, like, I've, I've done movies in Spain with a Spanish accent, right? So it has, it has a complete different um, music to it. So yeah, you have to prepare. Yeah, there's a cadence to it that's different. Exactly. There's a cadence to it. Exactly. Especially the way the sentences finish, if they go up, down, or just the neutral. You know, there's there's a lot to right. work. But it's, it's part, Lance it's part knows. Of he speaks Spanish. I bet. Yeah. Hit me, so, Lance. Yeah. Hit me. Uh, the Brazilian, you know, you have to... But I can speak English, but like as if I were Brazilian, I say... Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, Gracie Jiu-Jitsu is the best Jiu-Jitsu in the world. You know, you have to really, the Portuguese is, you got to really lean on this when you talk like this. You have Cara, to really, like Você that. não fala português, você não fala nada. Você não fala nada, cara. Você, você acabou com a caiada, cara. <laughs> so, okay, so, one of my good friends, a guy who, you know, have, you have people in your life that just bring you so much energy. Like, I didn't get it. My buddy Harold Keanu is the one who's Colombian. Yeah. And Harold is the most fun. Every time I see him, it might not be for 10 years. And when I see him, you know how there are people that you just like to be around because they have so much energy that they, they just make you happy when you're around them. Even like if you it. haven't like been Eric. around them. Like we Eric. all have. Like Eric, maybe. Yeah, exactly. So my my buddy would teach me like we would we would wait tables together 
and we would shoot dice in the back and we were done with our shifts and he'd like Eso vivo, and everything was spanish like dale huevo and, and you know me cago en tu diez me cago en cinco like whenever he's trying to hit his point and se acabó el cuentico and it's just like i learned little i tried to learn really get good at spanish because at tulane when i went there miss team puerto rico uh-huh. uh was was going to school there and i was like oh i need to tighten it up i'm t- i'm gonna shoot my shot i need to tighten it up but uh i like that you thought the I only barrier was the fact that you didn't speak spanish that was the only thing yeah like, that, that was it as long as i could get fluent shit it was gonna be on um, but you know the 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 energy so i went to we went to uh 1998 we went to the world cup he, he we didn't go to the world cup but we went to a place here in houston where we went to the semifinals, we were cheering for Brazil. So he said, okay, I'm Colombian. Right now, you're going to be Colombian. So when we're watching Brazil, and this is with Ronaldo, and he's like, you know, it's like, you know, Brazil, Brazil, Colombia está contigo. And, you know, you have to let them know he's teaching me. He's like, you're with them. Like, we're with you. Brazil is with you. I mean, uh, I'm sorry, Colombia is with you. Uh, Colombia is with you, Brazil. We're riding with you. We're in this place right now. We're riding with you. And so we went to that, and the Brazilian girls were so unbelievably fine. in Here in Houston, it was a party. It was unbelievable, the most fun. So I'm like, dude, we got to go to the finals too, France versus Brazil. I want to go to the finals. Let's get there as early as we need to to this big sports bar because that was a blowout, and it was so much fun, and all the Brazilians are dancing. They're, they're like – they brought instruments with them and fucking France beats them and they shut the party down. It was terrible. It was the worst world. It was the worst world cup ever, but I've really been into, I mean, I've really been into it since 94. That's why you hate the French. Yes. Why it's one of the reasons I hate the French and then Hamas. I don't know if you even follow how much soccer you follow, but, uh, um, I got the, the guy that I thought was going to be the next great Brazilian super. I mean, uh, Colombian superstar Hamas, uh, Hamas Rodriguez. I yeah. I thought he was going to be the next big star, and it never quite uh never quite materialized. He's a good player, but well, you never... have another reason to hate the French. Basically, Zidane, he never liked him. No, he, and, he and never, yeah, he never he never let him play. He's a he's a ph- phenomenal player, but he was well. When, yeah, I think I think going to Real Madrid was the worst thing that could happen. And this happens to a lot. And of Zidane players. was on that team. Yeah. Zidane, if I remember correctly, was on that team that yeah. beat Brazil. Yeah, of course. As well. So, yeah, I've got a lot of – me and Zatan have some huge beef right now that, that we go. haven't even gotten I'm into. I'm going to call him and tell him. I'm like, um, hey, buddy, there's beef. <laughs> He'll hit you with his Do you're like a, a group of – is there a group of <laughs> Colombian uh, celebrities like that you guys are all like kind of like know each other and have uh, – um, you know, I, I feel like because it's a small, maybe a smaller group, like you guys have been in certain situations together where you can look out for each other or no? Well, am I making that up? You know me, you know me, you know that I'm a bit of a, of a, of a lone, lone ranger with the, That's with, true. with yeah. my biking thing. Well, here's the deal. Yeah. I'm, I'm a pretty atypic Colombian. I don't follow soccer. So I have, you know, I know who the players are, you know, and I know a, a yeah. thing or two, but I have no passion for soccer. Uh, right. and so it's weird because my dad is Argent was Argentinian. I was raised in Spain, oh, born in Colombia, and, and I wow. don't follow it. So it's like you know, I, I really Argentina, don't. Spain, and Colombia. You don't follow it. I don't know how to follow soccer. You know, I I, I ride my that's mountain a, that's bike. A, I'm always on on the mountain bike by, by myself. Right. Um, so yeah, I I mean, 
if if something goes down, like put it politically speaking, or there's a catastrophe in Colombia, yes, right. I I have a but you know we will all kind of come together to to help and to do whatever we can, right? To raise funds or whatever it is. But I I I couldn't say that I have like a crew that we're always you know kind of kind of around each other. It's it, it's it's hard. Also, you know, two kids. But never been your thing. I mean, Juan Pablo. Juan Pablo also like would have like endless debates with a couple of the other cast members on what's the point of boys' night. Like he never could wrap his mind around what the point of boys' night is. Like he was like, I don't want to go. I hang out with you all day long. Like I don't want to hang out with you at night. Like I'm going to go hang out with my wife and my kids. Yeah, and, understandable. And That's the long cast. Yeah, and there. Yeah, and there's a couple guys in the cast that like couldn't wrap their mind around that <laughs> like they just that was that was so foreign to them but this uh, is but this is this is a point where where eric and i i think we're pretty similar you know for example i don't like soccer right but if i go into a room and everybody is rooting for team a i will most definitely be team b 100 like, <laughs> percent. my brain works that way so if i'm in a room and everybody tells me how awesome boys night is I will for sure. And I'm not even doing it intentionally. I just can't help myself. I would just have to tell you that there's no sense on doing boys night. That's it. There's no sense. <laughs> <laughs> right. Right. I'm, uh, yeah, we are similar in that regard. We're, we're the, uh, we're the antagonist, you know, we're, we're just, we're going to play the other side. We're yeah. all, we're the devil advocate guy, right? Just devil's advocate here. But the fun um, thing is that it's because we don't care. I don't care. I was right. I wasn't a couple, you know, boys' night when we were in Wilmington, or I think even a couple in Vancouver. There's nothing too great about them either. You know, it's not like hey, I'm or just one day, one day Eric said something great. Like someone told Eric, like, hey, but why aren't you going to do this? He says because I'm over fucking forty years old now, and I don't have to do it. <laughs> I don't want to. Don't tell me. Yeah, I have to do my something. wife and I, and we have. A friend of mine uh, and my wife one day, and this was probably when we were like 38, 39, like we were like, can we all make a pact with each other that if, if like, if you don't want to do something, you just say, I don't want to. So if, if I'm going to call you on the phone, if I call you and say like, Hey, you want to go to lunch? You don't have to lie. Like you just say, no, I don't, I don't want to do that. And so I got much better at, you know, when people would ask me to do something that I didn't want to do instead of being like, well, I'm just like, I've got a headache or, you know what, I'm supposed to like go with my, I just, I'm like, yeah, no, mm -mm. I mean, well, why not? I mean, don't you, I just don't want to. Once, you, once to. you have kids, you don't have more time. That's right. You just, you have to be really picky about what you do and what you don't do because you know, you're not getting any younger. And once you have no. kids, you realize how fast time flies. So That's just, right. just the image of being in a place I don't want to be, it, it just, it kills me. It kills me. I, I, I can't do it. And it's not because I don't love the boys. We, I love the boys, but can you imagine you eight, you're eight hours, 10 hours on set, just wearing heavy gear, being sweaty and sharing all these great experiences. Like really? Do we have to spend three more and laughing, hours? having a great day? <laughs> we had a great day. So, but right. um, yeah, I just, yeah, but that's a unique situation. You're talking, you're talking about a very unique situation where they wanted to extend what you were. I don't blame you. You're working, yeah. 
And then you want your me. I, I have to have my time to unwind and do and do my thing. But like, I also feel like there's a time where you are. I, I, I'm married. I've been married uh, coming up on close to 20 years. Love my wife, my kid, all that stuff. I don't. If I'm going with the guys, we're going to reminisce and maybe talk about some stuff right now. And that's about it. Like I'm not chasing ass at all or anything. I'm not. I'm not out, you know, like there's not an ulterior motive going out with the guys. I could just, Hey, why don't y'all come to my house? Because then when everyone leaves, I can get my ass in bed immediately. (laughs) It's not hard at all. I have control that way too. Yeah. There also has to be like, um, you know, my, my times when I want it to be guys night is like usually centered around an event that my wife has no interest in. So it's like, let's go watch the national title game. Right yeah, together. Yeah. So we can all or or my buddies who are big SC fans. Let's let's go watch that game together. My wife has no interest in it. And it's certainly more fun to watch with three or four guys who understand it and want to talk about it while we're watching it, as opposed to like by myself or with kids running around. So it it, it definitely like that feeds into why uh, like there's a purpose to it. There's a point to it. Um Having a terrible segue here, but I want to talk about the two things you've got a show out right now on CBS All Access, Coyote. Coyote. Um, yeah, Coyote. 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 There you go. Colombia. Colombia. <laughs> a lot of pe- people from Colombia get very upset if it's Colombia because it's not C O L U. C O L O. It's Colombia. Colombia. You have a good so, accent, Lance. By the way, you can pull it off. No, I can't. That's what gets me oh, in trouble because no, when I that. do Spanish speaking stuff, people hear the yeah. accent and think I'm fluent, and I am not. And I am I'm fucked so, on that. Sorry, thing. Eric, but he's got it down. You no, I do. Well, he also yeah. tries to throw things in. Like if he goes to a Mexican restaurant, he'll be like, uh, I'll have an order enchiladas. Enchiladas. Yeah. It's enchiladas. And I pissed my wife. My wife is Mexican. I pissed her off the other day. I called it tamal instead of tamales. She's like, it's not fucking tamal. It's tamal. One tamal. It's one is a tamal. And her mother said, yeah, it is tamal, Nicole. And then she looked it up on the internet or I did. And it turns out it just turned into a 20 minute thing. Like, oh, wait, it is tamale. Actually, the uh, the Oaxacans, you know, and I, I went down this rabbit hole like, what the fuck am I doing? Why am I looking up the 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 beginning point of tamale? But oh, that's right. Because I wanted to win with my accent. I forgot I wanted to to do that but uh, he loves his accents tell us a little bit about i've watched uh all six episodes thank you um and it's a really it's a really cool show i i was i texted you too first of all your nephew in the show is a little punk ass bitch (laughs) i wanted to punch him in the face um but but we start to understand why as we start to peel the onion back a little yeah. bit, the, the layers of the onion. But um, I, you know what? One of the things I really appreciate about the show, and I haven't watched a lot of CBS All Access, um, but I, I signed up and this was the first show I, I watched. And I guess because CBS, I just uh, immediately equate with like network television. What I really appreciate about this show is the subtlety and... Um, they just they didn't spoon feed anything to you. There were things they would introduce in one episode that they might not really get to or explain for two episodes down the road. Um, or something would happen 
And you either, if you're, if you were watching closely, you'd catch it. If you're mm-hmm. on your phone texting somebody, you're going to miss it. And that's on you. And I really appreciate that. Cause I love that kind of TV. I, I want my TV creators to give me television with the assumption of the highest, you know, highest quality viewer in mind. Yeah, exactly. Um, I want, I want you to think that, you know, that we're smart. Right, that the viewers yes. are smart. Yeah, I totally agree yeah. with you. Totally agree. And with and you. so I was really, I really enjoyed that about it. Um, tell us how Coyote came about. So um, it was an audition, uh, and I was I was I was wrapping up a film in Ohio with Liam Neeson uh, that premieres, by the way, next week, The Marksman. Uh, and I had to do you know two auditions on tape from Ohio, and then the last day. I'm shooting. I get a call and they tell me, Hey, you have a chemistry read tomorrow with Michael Chiklis. So I went, I went on this chemistry read. We, we, we really liked each other, but what really, really drew me to the show was the fact that it was very well written. You know, we get to read a lot and, and you start sometimes, even if you can't explain it, you start really sensing when you're reading something good, something that's been you know, created by someone who really cares. And that's what I thought. Well, that's what I felt. Because sometimes even if, if, if writers or creators or showrunners or directors say that they care about the Latino component and how it's going to be pictured, the truth is, you know, they don't. So here I really, really saw all these layers and there were all these layers to my character and to the different things that I can do with it. Starting with the fact, you know, that, 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 First of all, we really don't know if he is a total bad guy, which is really cool. And second, he is not your typical guy. He is a well-educated man who dresses properly, who speaks nicely, right? And, you know, having that challenge of, of portraying yeah, You do guy, have, by the way, you do have amazing suits that you get to rock in that show and are just looking dapper as shit. Yes. Well, that was that was that was the idea. So uh, everything is Dolce and Gabbana. Everything is Hugo Boss. Like that was the idea. We're gonna play this guy. We're gonna play this side of of the mafia because it's a mafia, right? That 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 most viewers right. just don't d- don't know because most of the shows and movies they only show kind of the low life kind of villain villains and delinquents, right? But these guys, the guy that I'm portraying, he's not different from you know any white collar thief that you see in the news here in the States, right? They're the same breed. You know, these are the right. guys that will go to political parties, right? And they will be in, at important inaugurations at the museum and they're scamming millions of dollars. So this is kind of that guy. And we wanted, we wanted to portray this guy, you know, but we wanted to portray him that way because he is a total opposite from the protagonist, which is Ben Clemens, Right. Which is a guy who just sees the world in black and white. But anyway, so for those of you who have not seen Coyote, Coyote is a story about a border patrol officer that uh, goes into retirement after 32 years of serving as a border patrol officer. He goes down to Mexico literally for a favor and he gets involved in a whole world of trouble. But by getting involved in this whole world of trouble, his idea about immigration and skin color and the sides of the border completely start to change, right? Because he starts finally seeing human beings. So it's not intended to be political. We don't 
we don't intend to take sides, but we definitely thought that it was necessary to tell a human story, to portray, you know, immigrants as human beings, you know, because that's what they are. It doesn't matter on what side of the idea you, you, you stand. It's okay. Did you think, though, that because I know there are people that watch the show and say, well, he is way too broadly characterized as a racist border patrol agent and you're too widely characterized broadly characterized as uh the head of a you know of a of a cartel right mm -hmm. a sicario uh which i did not get from the show i i thought that there was far more nuance to that and and there was far more understanding on why they were who they were. You know, we start to understand your history. We start to understand his history. Um, when you're making a show like that, though, and I guess it goes a little bit back to Lance's question about making Narcos. Like, are you because you are a person of color? You are, uh, you know, someone who has invested interest in making sure that you're represented well on screen. Like, how do you, again, in a situation like this, like tackle that to make it uh, kind of sit well with you? Well, first of all, uh, I, I, I can't agree with the people that say that, that, that Chickless character is openly racist. He jumps into the ocean to save a brown That's kid right. who is about to drown. So it has nothing to do with racism. It's just that he is very clear about what his idea of right and wrong is, you know? That's, 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 yeah. And, he, and, 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 and by the way, like, I agree with that. Like when I watch and I think they do a good job of showing it, but you don't see that's the, and that's one of the reasons I like the show. You don't know that if you've watched one episode, Yeah, you only know that if you've watched five episodes, because then you start to see flashbacks of like what made him who he is. Exactly. But also, Hey, if it were the case and he was just openly racist, uh, there are people who are openly racist too. Absolutely. So, but, I mean, what what is, you know, like, the thing is that everybody thinks that a show has to fit on your specific beliefs and everybody thinks that the show is specifically tailored for them. <clears throat> and no, a show, I think when it works, it is made to open your mind, right? About right. my character, um, the thing is that you, because of COVID, we got cut and we couldn't do 10 episodes. We only We only could finish six, right? But the great thing about my character and the reason why I decide to do it, it's because, you know, further on in the story, we start having this, you know, remember it's the producers from Breaking Bad. So we're going to start having this, this blurry lines between these two characters where you're going to constantly start questioning who is good and who is bad and, and, you know, and so on. So that's, that's the reason why I decided to do this story because it was written by people mm -hmm. who cared you know, they really went down there. They want to make a correct portrayal of the culture of the people. But also, you know, there is a lot to the character, a lot to my character. There is a lot. And I really hope we can make, you know, a couple more seasons because there is so much more to tell and to talk about. It's that, that, that's, that's what really draw me to the show. I think it would be very interesting if somebody could pinpoint when it was that it was no longer in our society good and bad. It became more blurred and it became more nuanced. You know, it's funny, just from a general sense, I remember pro wrestling had like Stone Cold and The Rock. And you're like, are these good guys? You, you know, I wasn't really watching, but I knew about them. I said, are these guys good guys or bad guys? Like, oh, it's kind of, <clears throat> you know, it's kind of different. Then you have Walter White, who you end up cheering for, 
the meth, you know, the meth yeah. maker. And as he gets worse and worse, you have to try to wean yourself off of Tony this Soprano. Guy, Tony Soprano. Even, even, you know, you find yourself like, Walter am White. I cheering for, for, and this is not a fictional character. Am I cheering for Pablo Escobar to yeah. get away Absolutely. from, from the heat that's coming on? But it is interesting that so many characters now in movies and television shows really do represent kind of the duality of man that there is, there's good, there's bad, but there's also a, a, a real, because of the way they're perceived, there's so many different perceptions of a, of a person in society. That's a bad guy. No, he's not. He's a good guy. That, kind of these characters are a reflection of how we are really not all on the same page of what good guy and bad guy is and what character traits, you know, it's not nebula. It's not easily you're on this side, you're on this side. You can't compartmentalize it. You can't just put it in a box. I think, I think that if we go, I think, I think the moment that you, that you were trying to pinpoint, I think it's around the close, you know, the cold war. I think, but you know, back in the eighties, you know, nineties, Hollywood became a big, you know, propaganda machine for, you know, U.S. is the good guys, Soviets are the bad guys, right? And so you had Rambo, and so you had mm-hmm. Rocky, and so that's when you really started kind of portraying. And you mentioned wrestling, and that's when I watched wrestling. And you know, Brutus the Barber, Beefcake, the Bolsheviks, right? And and everybody booed yeah. at the Bolsheviks, right, because they were the bad guys. So when you right. go back to when we were kids, I think that's when you're going to find that point where you know, everybody needed to know that there was a good guy and a bad guy. But when did it flip? When did it flip to where it's like, oh shit, the lines have been blurred? Hmm. Well, I think the lines are blurred now. That's what I mean. It's very blurred. But I think we live in a time where people don't want to think in nuance, you know, like especially right now, like our world is so, or certainly our country is so fucking divided and it's like you can't have you can't have truths on both sides of the aisle like if you believe this you're that if you believe this yeah. you're that that's true like, they want it to be no, they, want they want it to want be it. bolsheviks versus yes, versus Hulk Hogan and make it real easy oh that's right like you can't possibly have you know you just cannot possibly have thoughts that put you on both sides the right and the left um and or black and white, you know? And so I think, but what that's done is now we watch television shows and we, you know, immediately do that. We immediately say like, oh, he's going to be painted as the bad guy. Oh, he's going to be painted as the good guy. Oh, I agree with him. Well, it's episode one. This is a six episode story. Like if you're not going to let, if you're not going to read it for six or watch it for six episodes, then I don't know what to tell you. You like don't you know? You can't just make a snap decision. You don't read ten pages of a book. Yeah, it becomes. But I also think it becomes hard like now in the, you know, the, the social media times where everybody's just, it's just so used to instant gratification, right? It's like you click on a video, and if it's three minutes long, ah, no, I'm not going to watch three minutes, right? It's like people don't want to invest their time on that. Uh, but you know, sometimes you get good products and they find the correct audience. But I, I like to, I like to think, you know, that we're out there trying to create the best, right. And we're not trying to do all these kind of tailored, you know, buy products just to please a crowd. Right. Like, I think, I think, you know, starting a conversation is good. When I read the reviews about coyote, there's so many angry people about it. 
oh, this is the right propaganda trying well, to don't read it. reviews. That's your own fault. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But I, but I, I, I never read reviews. Come on. Thank you. You just, you just, you just, you just saved me a lot yeah. of time and pain. <laughs> just don't. Yeah. God. Cause every, for every good one, you're going to find a bad one. I mean, we yeah. know that to be the truth. Which by, which um, let's talk about, yeah. I, I want to talk to you a little bit about, uh, Chickless. The guy who I've watched since The Shield, um, and when you meet him in this show, I mean, he looks like hammered shit. Um, <laughs> he does not look good. And he is, I mean, like to the point where he's like struggling to walk. Yeah. He's got a pretty pronounced limp uh, for a majority of the season, um, which I was like always watching to see if like he was going to like fall on his ankle at some point or like what was going to happen. Yeah. And I didn't know if that was like, if I missed something in there that I couldn't, or if it was just from all the hell he had been through during this whole thing. So it was, or if that's just Michael Chiklis, if was, he has a limp now. It was from the, it was from the hell. And right. I, um, I believe when they were in the desert, uh, something happened with his knee. Cause actually when we went to the hiatus, he needed knee surgery, but I think, I think he just, he just really, really, he really dig deep, you know, into this whole yeah. process, you know, at the beginning of the first episode, you see a guy and he's got his shit together, right? I mean, uh, uh, at least apparently. Right. And then by the end of the episode, he is just a mess. And that is, that is already a fantastic first episode. Only, only because of that arc is definitely worth it. Yeah. Um, because it's a lot, man. Yeah. It's a lot that he has to go through a lot, but he's, he's, He's a hard worker, man. He puts his his his, his mind, his, his heart and soul into the project, and and he he really gives it all, man. <clears throat> so I have to ask you really quick, Lance. I have to ask yeah, Juan Pablo one more question, just because we're on the subject. Have you ever done anything where you like affected yourself, like a limb? <laughs> you're such an asshole. Have you ever done anything you're like so, that? You're such an asshole. <laughs> what? He's such an asshole. He just has this whole deck of cards and he just starts throwing them, you know? <laughs> All right. So, okay, Lance, I'm going to tell you this story. Okay. He played his card. Eric, this yeah, is I, literally for you to tell me. That's okay. why I set you up. Okay. So, Lance, uh, let me tell you about this. <laughs> so, when I, when I was doing- It's the, one of my favorite stories. <laughs> it's one of my favorite stories ever. So, when I was doing the 33, right? And it was my first big movie, as I told you. Uh, big stars. And I was like, man, I have to go all in, you know, it's like they told us you have to lose 10 pounds. I lost 15. I was, I was really, really into this, but I was not happy enough with the losing weight situation. I thought, damn, my character, I need something else. You know, he's got to play like a really weak, broken guy. So the first day before we go on set and to go on set, we had to walk into a mine so there was a big ordeal just to get to set, yeah, right? I find this beautiful rock and I tape it to my foot and I put my boot and I had that rock in my foot to create a very, very credible limp, right? And I have yeah. that rock in there for the first two months that we worked inside the cave. <laughs> And I felt so proud Every of myself. Day for two months. Every single day, the same rock. I had it with me. You know, it was right there in my wardrobe. Every single day, I would come, I would go through my makeup process, and I would tape the rock to my foot. 
So after two months, we moved from Colombia, which was all the inside of a mine, we shot in a real mine, and we go to Atacama Desert in Chile to shoot all the exterior parts of the mine. First day on set out there, it was the scene where these miners are taken out of the mine and the whole town is there cheering, right? My character had to go out there and he had to look for his sister who he didn't see there. So there was this big shot, huge shot, huge shot of, of you know, with a big crane. I'm talking about 300 extras. I come out and, and you know, the director tells me like, hey, let's try and do this on one take. Because, you know, all this emotion is real because these people that are here, they were here when they rescued the miners. So we needed to be on one take. I'm like, I'm, I'm all in. So action. I look for my sister. I start running because she's not there. Cut, cut. You know, I come back. Director comes out of the trailer, says, um, it was all was great. But uh, why you were running in a funny way. Is everything okay? <laughs> I'm like, uh, well, yeah, I was, I was running in a funny way because my, my character, you know, he, he has a limp. She's looking at me like, what the hell are you talking about, bro? For two months, you did not notice that my character had a limp. She goes, no, it was dark inside the mine. <laughs> she said, can you do it again, please? Sure. Took off my boot, unstrapped the rock, threw it to the fucking hell. And just ran normally. <laughs> did anyone see your rock or did you try to hide it? I did not care. Uh, <laughs> I just wanted, I just love that. <laughs> I just wanted to make it disappear. I want to be a fly on the wall when you're like, that's the, you know, that was my limp. Yeah. It's like, uh, yeah. Sorry, Juan. We didn't. We, well, what about the two months that I've been limping? Yeah. We haven't seen you on camera for two months, dude. <laughs> I, just, just I've got to be honest with you. Um, you know, I do the show with Eric, so I'm not used to doing a show with somebody who's as committed to roles as you are. And so when I hear this, I'm like, yeah, see, that's what I always thought actors are supposed to do. Really feel the character and bring nuance to the character and experience. Eric, one time he faces adversity <laughs> when they ask him to do an, a, a, a role of kind of an Irishman or an Englishman or whatever about building a fire. And he fucking quit in the middle of the – and he quits in the middle of the uh, – the middle of the uh, – uh, the audition quits. Yeah. We still make fun of it, by the way. <laughs> no, trust me. We would be in the middle. We would be in the middle of a scene on six and like out of nowhere, like Barry or Juan Pablo would just turn middle of the scene and go, are we building a fire? <laughs> hey, before we let you go, I got to bring up shot caller, which is to me, love it. So I'm a big love fan of, of, of blood in, blood out, bound by honor, American me, you know, to me, I always tell friends, it's like the, it's like the, the good the the good fellas and godfather of Mexican prison movies, you know? Yeah. Uh, but they're really, they have some amazing actors in it. And, and I, I could watch, I could watch blood in, blood out a thousand times. I follow. So I'm in LA last year, uh, getting, we were, no, no, no. It was two years ago for NFL network doing TV shoots you know, for that week. And I'm looking for something to watch. And I'm like, Oh, look at this. Jamie Lannister is a shot caller. Let me yeah. check this out. Cause I know the phrase shot caller. I know what it's supposed to represent. And I, and I really enjoyed the movie. And, um, one of the things, you know, that I think is interesting. Now you made a comment about Eric 
And if they if NASA just lets them right in, well now let me just go through some of let's see, Sakayo, Cartel, yeah, yeah. you're 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 in you're in uh, Eastlos, you you've got juice in Eastlos, so they you gotta By type way, a little bit. Next, um yeah, his next movie coming out on Friday. You just chalk that <laughs> oh, in. Is that one in there too? Yeah. No. So let me. So I want to ask you about. Okay. So first of all, how do you pronounce this? I to, I, I just call him Jamie Lannister. How is his name pronounced? Nikolaj Nikolai Kosservaldal. Okay. Perfect. Nikolai. Nikolai. So at some point, that guy clearly. What is the process? You worked with a famous, um, an actor who famously put on sixty pounds in Wagner Mora for um, for the role uh, clearly of uh, of you know Pablo Escobar. At the same time, this actor puts clearly hit the weights at some point mm-hmm. because he's a lot bigger when he gets out of prison. We can see the metamorphosis from when he comes in and when he's out. What was that process? Did you train at all to get ready because you wanted to get beefed up? And then what was that process like for him? Um, do you do you have an idea of, of what he went through to physically he, do that? He started he started doing a lot of prison of prison workouts, which is basically, you know, all the burpees, all these burpee sequences, 500 burpees a day. He was doing that. He was doing basically all prison workout. I I hit the weights and I gained a, I gained a lot of weight. That was after the 33 and I was the 33 I was 175 and I went up to with a, a limp. And with a limp with a noticeable limp, yeah. Exactly. And you take the rock out. So then I went up to 205. So I got jacked for that. But, you know, the wow. movie, there's a bit of movie magic, you know. So his real body in the movie is is the big guy. You know, the thin guy, that's a little bit of movie magic. That was not, okay. that was not him. I was wondering because it was like, man, how did they get yeah, quick I, too? Yeah, because yeah, he, he they would, made him much smaller. They wouldn't have the time. He wouldn't. I mean, I'm, I'm pretty sure that if you have the ca- cast away kind of time where they tell you, okay, we're going to shoot you fat and then you, you lose the weight or vice versa. You know, if you have the time and the budget, you do it. But we didn't have the time to do that. So, you know, they had to use movie magic to make him look thin in the beginning of the film. And then he was just, he was just big. Juan Poppy, you're the man. You the man. Next time, I'm never going to forget you. I'm always going to, I'm always going to remember you when I'm in the spice section, you know, I'm always going to remember your text, dude. I, uh, dude, I appreciate you coming on the pod and, uh, you're, you are certainly one of the good guys. We had so much fun working together. You make me laugh like nobody else. Uh, you, uh, have a beautiful family and you're always working. So it makes me really happy. You've got coyote coming up, uh, or it's on right now. All episodes are streaming on on CBS, all access access and, uh, that's right. January 15th. Uh, wherever there's a place where people can go to the theaters, you know, they can see um, The Marksman, a movie I did with Liam Neeson, who's also a great, great character. And I like this movie. There's also, there's a lot of heart to it. So yeah. And I guess what, another bad guy? That's all right. We'll get you played. Well, you played a good guy with me when you were in six. You played a good guy, not a bad guy. That is correct. Uh, thanks for being on the pod, dude. Good guys. Thank really you so appreciate much. It. Lance, a pleasure to meet you. Thanks. And- it was great meeting you, man. Hey, buddy. I hope I see you soon, man. I'll see you soon, dude. Adios, amigos.